Welcome everybody online. I appreciate you. You've made me feel at home today. David and I have talked and feel like really our churches are, are a lot alike and feel even more that way after being here. David, thank you for the introduction. Um, David is smarter than me. I'm, he, he, David is smarter than me. As, uh, as far as looks, we, let's not discuss looks anymore this morning. But one thing I hope, uh, because if this is not the case, my wife and my daughters will be very disappointed in me. I hope by the time I leave today that you find me more charming than David. <laughs> because if not, I'm going to be in trouble when I fly back tomorrow. It, it, it is uh, good to see David. And in fact, I mean, it's a huge blessing. When you come here, you get three David Robinsons for the price of one, right? <laughs> I mean, three Dr. David Robinsons. What, what are the odds of that? I mean, you all thought we were clannish in East Tennessee. I mean, um, but uh, David and Tiffany and uh, E-Rob and Corey, they were a blessing in, in, in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, it's really a blessing for our church to be able to ordain David and to, to send him out here. I hope we did a good job of preparing him for you. Yes. Uh, there's only so much we can do. I mean, ju just ask Tiffany, but hopefully we did a good job. But uh, uh, we're, just, we're thankful for what God's doing this church, what he's going to do in the future for you partnering with us in, in, in Honduras. And... Um, you know, David is a very gifted man. He's, he's a great communicator, but kind of beyond some of the bluster of David, you know, one of the things when he started talking to me about doing this, that I knew that God was in it because I'd seen for years that him and Tiffany really had a heart for people. I mean, when, when something was going on with somebody, they were some of the first people there. And I knew that David uh, had a pastor's heart. And so, again, we're thankful for that. We're just we're thankful to be able to be partners with you in the body of Christ and the kingdom work of the Lord. And it, it is a blessing for me to be here. So, so far, we're going to pray in just a second and, and dig into God's word, which is what's important, which is really why we're here. Just double check. Can everybody understand me so far? All right. We don't need a translator. Okay. That's all right. I'll try to keep the y'alls to a minimum today. But uh, no promises on that. I had a pastor part of the time when I was in seminary who was from Missouri. He's just a brilliant guy. He did a three-year seminary program in like a year and a half or two years. And, and now he's dean and I think a vice president at one of the Baptist seminaries, a published author of some really deep stuff. I mean, he's just a brilliant guy. He, he'd be preaching. He'd be, you know, he'd be going at it. He'd be using words like infralapsarianism and supralapsarianism and stuff like this. And then he would, you know, be one on one of those runs using those big words. And then he'd stop and say, now, did you get that? So I, I promise you that I won't go quite that far today, okay? I, I, I'll try to make th that this is sure this is understandable English, but l let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for this time to be together. God, I thank you for your presence in this place. Father, I thank you for this church and the work that you're doing here. And God, I ask that you would continue to do a great work in and through them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just work through them 
in reaching people for Christ and making disciples and planting churches and building your kingdom and in glorifying your name. Now, Lord, I ask that as we look into your word, God, that your spirit would give me the words that you would have me to say. But, Lord, I I ask that you would do a, a work in everyone's heart and mind and make them receptive to your truth. God, I, I, I just ask that uh, your spirit would uh, take your word and just make it come alive in us. Lord, I, I ask that you draw people uh, to you, that you give people saving faith, that you would cause us to be surrendered to the lordship of Christ, that you would just develop conviction in us and cause, to, cause us to live, not to build our own little empires, but to build the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask that your will would be completely done in this time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Something that I believe is that all people, and and I say all relatively, but that people of goodwill, whether they're in the Pacific Northwest, whether they're in the South, whether we go to Honduras or go to anywhere else in the world, are essentially looking for the same thing. I think we pretty much want the same things out of life. I I think we want to be loved and we want to feel accepted. I I think we want a a place of peace and harmony and, and joy, a place where you know, our kids can be raised and, and, and they can flourish and they can do well, a place where people aren't going to bed uh, hungry at night. I, I think a place uh, where people uh, you know, aren't fighting with each other over race and all these other different things. Uh, essentially, I think what people are looking for, and maybe, and I'm certainly in many cases, they don't even realize it, is they're looking for the kingdom of God. We're looking for what the Bible describes as what the world will be like in the millennial reign of Christ. Really, we're looking for Eden. Because in a sense, Eden is in all of us because the fact that we're made in the image of God, even though that's distorted by sin, down deep, that's really what we want because down deep, that's what we're made for. And so, I think we want the same kind of things. I think the issue is, there's different ways that we're trying to get there. That's what our country is so divided over today. I don't think it's over so much what we want. I mean, there's a degree of that. It's how we're going to get there. Because there's this progressive vision of what that things should look like and how we're going to get there. There's this conservative, traditional vision of what things look like and how we should get there. But I think the reality is, I think Mark Sayers hits it on the head. If you've never listened to this Cultural Moment podcast, I would highly recommend it. He says what people are looking for is the kingdom without the king. The kingdom without the king. He says that secularism is trying to make progress apart from the presence of God. 
Secularism is trying to make progress apart from the, the presence of God. And, and I think in, in, in the church of God that a lot of our problem today is, is that a lot of people are getting sucked into this. There's progressive woke Christianity that's getting sucked into the progressive uh, vision and version of what this is supposed to look like. But there's also real fundamentalist Christianity that's getting sucked into the Republican Party and all these things of how it's supposed to look like. But I think Kerry Newhoff is right when he says that the culture doesn't need an echo of itself. The culture needs an alternative to itself. And ultimately, what the church is called to be is a kingdom countercultural alternative to the culture that's really part of this world system. Really, what we need is the kingdom of God. Something that I discovered so I grew up in Tennessee. We moved away to go uh, to seminary in North Carolina, and then I pastored a church in Maryland for about six years, and we moved back about 19 years ago to plant True Life. And, and shortly after we moved back, I heard a man by the name of Bob Roberts, and then I read a couple of his books. And the thing that I discovered is even though I'd grown up in church, even though I'd been a Christian for a while, e even though that I'd been to seminary, there was a practical functional hole in my theological grid. And that is, I did not really have a working, functional, practical, applied knowledge of the kingdom of God. And actually... Through his work and through studying scripture, it's something that's changed my life. Really, a lot of what we're doing, even in Honduras, functionally, practically came out of this scriptural understanding of the kingdom of God. So I want to try to share with you this morning what I've learned about the kingdom of God, the basics of it, how it's affected my life, how we can apply it, and I believe how it can change us as individuals, how it can shape you as a church and your ministry and, and, and the mission that God ha has given you. You see, the, the church in this age is the vehicle through which God uses to advance his kingdom. And so with that said in the way of introduction, I, I just want to pose a question that I want you to think about during this, and then... I'm going to read some scripture, although we're going to look at, at uh, a lot of different scriptures today. It's kind of a different style message to how I normally preach. But uh, th this is the question. Deep down, like I said, I believe we're all looking for the kingdom of God. But are we looking for it through the king, Jesus, or are we trying to create our own version of it? Are we looking for the kingdom through the king, are we trying to create our own version of it? So let's go to Matthew chapter 6 as a starting place. And Jesus talked about the kingdom of God a lot. He talked about the kingdom of God a lot in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is what he said in what we often call the Lord's Prayer. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But again, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
So let's focus on the, the, the two sentences here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, I want us to, to look at some different aspects of the kingdom of God. The first couple are foundational, and then after that, we'll, after we hopefully lay that foundation, we'll try to make some application. But, but the first thing we got to understand about the kingdom of God is that you can't have a kingdom without a king. So I want us to see the ruler of the kingdom, that Jesus is our king. Jesus here said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The kingdom belongs uh, to him. God is the king or ruler of all. Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords who personally revealed God and his kingdom to us. Look at what scripture says, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. It says, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Then all peoples, nations, and languages, that, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed." So in other words, and when you study history, it bears it out. The great kingdoms, the great societies, the great nations, the great civilizations, one after the other, passed away. The United States of America, even though it's a great but flawed country. I mean, I, I love our country. I mean, I've been to Honduras about 40 times. I don't know that I've ever come back into our country. When I've flown in, not just felt thankful to be here, felt like I'm in a special place. But listen, the United States of America is going to pass away as well. The only kingdom that is ultimate, that is eternal, that is permanent, is the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, that someday that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In, in, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus returns, it, it, it says that on him is the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So understand that, that, that God revealed in Christ is the King, the ruler of this kingdom. Now, that's, you all know that. There's my first of all. Uh, so, uh, you guys know that. But I want us to think about some characteristics of the kingdom, though. And, and this is important to understand, that the kingdom is already here and not yet present at the same time. The kingdom is already here, and it's not yet present at the same time. And, and to really understand the kingdom, you have to understand, keep that in, in balance. You see, there's a past aspect of the kingdom. When Jesus came the first time, because the king was here, the kingdom was present. Now, it wasn't obvious to everyone because in the incarnation, he veiled his glory, but Jesus was always God. He was always the king. So, in a sense, there's a past aspect of the kingdom of God. You know, Matthew 4, 17 says that Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How is the kingdom at hand? Because the king was present. So, there's a past aspect. 
There's also a future aspect, though, because the Bible teaches us that someday Jesus is literally, bodily, visibly going to descend from heaven. He's going to return again. And when he does, he's going to set up God's kingdom on the earth, and uh, the king will be ruling and reigning from uh, Jerusalem. Revelation 11.15 says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Daniel 2.44, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Understand, this is the flow of human history. This is where it's headed toward. So there's a past aspect, there's a future aspect, but there's also a present aspect. And the present aspect is Christ's rule and reign in the hearts of believers. In Luke 17, 21, Jesus said, the kingdom is within us. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, or it could be translated from the domain of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, There's a sense in which the kingdom is coming, it's not yet, but there's a sense in which the the, the kingdom is already here because the kingdom is is within us because through the Holy Spirit, if, if you're a genuine believer, the king is in you. We're we're indwelled by Christ. Now, again, we're just kind of laying a foundation, but we're getting somewhere with it in a few minutes, okay? So You've got Jesus is the king. The kingdom is already, but it's not yet. But the kingdom, by definition, is God's reign and rule over all. Um, the Revel Compact Bible Dictionary defines kingdom as a ruler's sphere of authority. Charles Colson has written, quote, The kingdom of God is a rule, not a realm. It is the declaration of God's absolute sovereignty, of his total order of life in this world and the next. And, and, and what that means is, is that God's authority is both universal over the entire world and particular in the lives of those who confess Jesus as Lord. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life? I don't think that's a very biblically precise statement. You can't make Jesus something that he already is. Jesus is Lord, God, King over all. When we get saved, what happens is, is we confess, we submit to his lordship where what is universally, eternally true becomes true in in our hearts, in our lives. And, And so it's God's sovereign rule over all things. This means that his kingship and his kingdom applies to every aspect of our lives. It's why there's no such thing as a secular, sacred division. It's why in the Protestant Reformation, the reformers used a Latin phrase called quorum deo, which literally means in the face or in the presence of God, and said that every aspect of life is to be lived in the face of, in the presence of God. It's why they started saying, well, the priesthood isn't the special vocation. Any vocation 
creation done to the glory of God is a good thing. You, you could be a homemaker, a stay-at-home mom, a garbage collector, a lawyer, a doctor, or whatever else. But if you're doing it uh, for the glory of God, for the good of, of people, for human flourishing, it, to, to honor God, you're living quorum Deo. And in, in your life, you're a part of the building the kingdom of God. You're part of honoring God, living under his rule and reign. But then the kingdom results in God's restoration of us as individuals and the restoration of his creative world. That's what God is doing. He's saving people. He's building his church. And through the church, he's working to make a difference in the world. He's restoring people's lives. And someday, Jesus is going to come back, set up the kingdom, and restore this world into the original glory that God created in Eden. You know, sometimes people talk about, you know, God's going to destroy the world. God's not going to destroy the world. That's not in the Bible. God's going to renovate the world. There's a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus is going to reign here for a thousand years to usher in the eternal age. So that's kind of, uh, that's foundational. One more foundational thing. I want us to think about for a minute the members of the kingdom. The members of the kingdom. And if you're a Christian, that's us. Remember what Jesus said to pray? He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To be able to pray our Father, God actually has to be our Father, which only happens through Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to another scripture. Look in Ephesians chapter 2, or it'll be on the screen. Starting in verse 14, the Bible says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And and what this is saying, when he says he's made both one, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles have become one new humanity through the cross, in the church, children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, related to God our Father. It says he's having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in, in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. In other words, we have peace with God, we have peace with one another. And he says that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the, the enmity. So in other words, in the body of Christ, uh, there should be peace and unity, uh, not division and disharmony of, of any kind, uh, theological, racial, whatever, because we're united together in Christ. It says he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, the application of it, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And when it says fellow citizens with the saints, that means fellow citizens together in the kingdom of God. We're members of God's kingdom. And so practically what this means to our lives is that, uh, you know, as, as we're born again, in, in a sense, we become supernaturalized citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We have a new ruler because Jesus is our king. We have a new ultimate allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. Listen, it's fine to be patriotic, but 
a, a nation can never be the ultimate allegiance of a Christian uh, because Jesus is our king. We have a new purpose, which is glorifying God through the building of his kingdom. We have a new ultimate destination, which is heaven. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven, is in heaven, not will be in heaven. It's in heaven. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven right now from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, I had a conversation yesterday with, with Pastor David, Dr. David, and, and, and John, I got to meet John, too, and, and, and John was talking about sharing his faith with somebody at work, and, you know, they're having this conversation about, you know, the guy was talking about, uh, you know, he's a good person and being saved through being a good person, that kind of thing, you know, the standard answer, but then as they work through it, you know, John said in this conversation, and just kind of at the end, uh, he said, well, ultimately, I don't want to submit to some kind of higher power, and this is the, the real issue here is, you know, because we can talk about heaven, and we can talk about forgiveness of sins, we can talk about all these great things that Jesus offers. But at the end of the day, the question is, do we want to be our own God and build our own kingdom without a king, or do we want to submit to the kingship of Jesus Christ in our lives? That's what it boils down to. So Jesus is king, we're the members of his kingdom, the kingdom is his rule and reign. It's him restoring individuals, restoring the world. It's already here, but it's not yet present. And so that's the foundation. Here is the application, okay? I want to talk to you about the mission of the kingdom. The mission of the kingdom. So the church is not the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule of God, while the church is the people under his rule. So remember, the kingdom is both here and not yet here in its fullness, which is something called inaugurated eschatology. And so, um, I'm not going to follow that up with Ewan's, but uh, (laughs) this is an important distinction and balance. So, uh, I don't know if this is a Tennessee thing, just a Jimmy thing. There's a phrase I like to use. It's it's, that you can, you remember this, David, you can fall in the ditch on either side of the road. Right? If, you know, I can't hardly preach without using that phrase. But uh, I, I think balance is important. I tend to get shot at from people on all sides of an issue. But uh, you can fall in the ditch on either side of the road when it comes to this. Because there are people who basically act like that the kingdom is already here. And, um, and then so that we can fix all of the world's problems. You heard a political speech lately. What a lot of politicians present themselves as is essentially a functional savior. Vote for me, and I'm going to fix all your problems. And and people on both sides of the aisle do it, and it's ridiculous. And it's ridiculous that we fall for it, especially as Bible-believing Christians. Even the people who most line up with your conviction, they're not going to fix all your problems. They're not supposed to fix all of our problems. There is such a thing as personal responsibility in the Bible, right? I mean, government is not our savior. But God has not, I mean, we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. We can't have heaven on earth. 
And so we can take this too far and fall in the ditch on that side of the road. But also, there are people who fall in the ditch on the other side of the road. Now, I've certainly heard a lot of this kind of preaching growing up in East Tennessee. You know, the whole left behind series and all that kind of thing. And the rapture's coming, and it's like our great escape. And it turns church into a bomb shelter where you take your family and, and, and you hide the women and children. And you don't let them get corrupted by the world. But the problem with that is... It's the world, while the church does that, is descending farther into hell, chaos, and you can't ultimately hide your kids from it. I mean, homeschool families have problems too. I mean, you just can't run and hide from, because the problem is not ultimately out there, the problem is in us, right? Right? I mean, my minor in college was in sociology, and one of the things I never understood, one of the things I understand about uh, socialism is like, if, if all of us are good people, but society's corrupt, and it's, and it's, you know, society's what's messing us up, how did all the, of us good people build such bad societies? <laughs> I mean, somehow that just never added up to me. But the, the point that I'm making is that the church is not to be a bomb shelter where we run and hide. Listen, we can't fix all the world's problems. We're not supposed to fix all the world's problems. King Jesus is going to do that when he comes back to rule and reign. But in the meantime, since the kingdom is in us, we're to be vehicles of the kingdom of God. We were sharing the gospel, and people are getting saved, and, and where people are being reconciled together, and families are being restored, and people are being healed mentally and emotionally and physically, and we're meeting people's needs, and we're making a difference in in the world. That's what we're called to do as the church. Martin Luther King Jr. said in, in his brilliant letter from a Birmingham jail, quote, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores or the customs of society. Listen, that's what God is still calling the church to be today. Now, how's that going to happen? Well, three things. Number one, we need to see that the church does battle against the kingdom of darkness. The church does battle against the kingdom of darkness. We better be praying. We better be praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son. We're in one kingdom or the other. We're in one realm. We're in one, we're in one domain or the other. There's a battle going on. Listen, we talk a lot about culture wars. I don't believe we're in a culture war. I believe we're in a cosmic war. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Listen, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6.12. In the church, we've got to stop fighting each other and stop demonizing people and stop acting like somebody who has a different political or, or theological viewpoint than us is the enemy. Listen, 
People are trapped in darkness, and it takes a supernatural work of God to set them free. We need to stop trying to accomplish everything in the natural and start functioning in the supernatural. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We're in a life and death battle. I mean, do you realize when you gather together on Sunday and you're worshiping God and, and somebody's preaching the word of God that eternity hangs in the balance uh, for some people? It's a life and death thing. If you think about that, you'd pray a whole lot more during the week for Sunday morning. You'd pray a whole lot more uh, for your pastor. This is what's at stake. We're in a battle. We're in a spiritual war. But second, we see that the church participates in God's rescue mission of the world through the gospel. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's what we're called to. Ultimately, what transforms people's lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, not politics, not ideology, not debates. There's place for those things, but it's ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, This isn't in my notes, but I I just feel like in this moment I I need to say this. You know, there's lots of different ways to illustrate this, but but this is where it hits home for me. So, I I grew up in a home where... um, I mean, my mom took us to church. My dad went some. My dad wasn't actually a Christian uh, at that point in his life. Uh, he, he left home uh, when I was a freshman in high school uh, for another woman. He was committing adultery. And he, he had a, uh, a gambling problem. Um, I mean, to the extent that he would bet on regular season Major League Baseball games, which, you know, you're doing that, that's about as big of a crapshoot as, as you're going to get, left us in a bad financial uh, position. And, um, uh, you know, by God's grace, you know, was able to forgive him. Things were, you know, the relationship wasn't the greatest for a while. He's 81 now. We have a great relationship. But it took some time to get there. But um, about... 20 years ago, my younger brother died, and he choked to death while eating by himself at 26. Um, a f- pastor friend of mine from Maryland came down for the funeral and shared the gospel with my dad. And a little while after that, uh, my dad got saved, and um, I got to baptize him at True Life. He's 81. He serves in, he's doing great, serves in our church. But I still see today... My dad growing. You know, people aren't supposed to change when they're 81. I see him changing. I see God doing a work of grace in in, in his life. You want to explain away the grace of God, you're going to have to explain away my dad to me. And, And listen, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change someone from the inside out. Why get sidetracked with all these other things? When we have in this book the gospel that is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it is revealed the righteousness of, uh, of God from faith to faith. Listen, you're surrounded by multitudes of people who don't know Christ. 
It's your calling to do what you can to reach them. The church also is to be a picture of the coming kingdom. It's to be a picture of the coming kingdom. Listen, there's so many people who have gotten turned off by bad experiences at church. And listen, if if you're a Christian, you're listening online, I'm sorry if you've been hurt in church, but the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus loves his church. Don't let people take you away from that. But if you're not a Christian, I, I get that. But that's not Jesus, and that's not really what the church is supposed to be. But the reality is, we're either going to point people toward Jesus, or we're going to turn people away from Jesus. R.C. Sproul has written this. He says, John Calvin said, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, and even our checkbooks. Because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of our king. When people look at, look at us, are we pointing them toward the king? Are we pointing them away from the king? You see, sometimes people say that Jesus, that the church is, is irrelevant or uh, you know, we're not doing anything to help the world, but they don't know history. And I just want to share just a a, a few things with you about the difference that the church has made in the world in building the kingdom of God as an example, as a picture of what we should be doing in in building the kingdom of God today. There's a book by Dr. D. James Kennedy called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And and he shares the difference, some of the differences, and I'm just going to hit it quickly, that that Christianity has made in the world in in history. You see, uh, think about children. Christians value life because we believe people are made in the image of God. And if you study history, you find that it was Christians who opposed abortion, infanticide, child sacrifice, and abandonment. There was legislation passed under Constantine and Justinian uh, against these kind of things in the Roman Empire, the establishment of foundling homes, nursery homes, orphanages. If you look at adoption today, not exclusively, but you find that it's Christians that are leading the way in that. You think about women. In the ancient world, girls were killed more often than boys. The church fought it in the ancient world, and missionaries have fought it in places such as China and and, and India. It was overcome in India, as well as the practice of a widow being burned at her husband's funeral through the work of William Carey. Missionary Amy Carmichael fought against young girls being temples prostitutes. Think about women's rights in nations with a Judeo-Christian heritage versus nations with a Muslim heritage. Muslim men, many Muslim men believe they have a right to do whatever they want with a non-Muslim woman sexually. I mean, you go to some places in Europe with a lot of Muslim refugees, it's not safe for women to walk down the streets. Everything is a worldview issue. You think about slavery, William Wilberforce getting it ended in in, in the British Empire, Uh, Granville Sharp, uh, a man who was such a Greek scholar that there's a rule uh, in in the Greek language, Granville Sharp's rule named after 
after him. But he got a man by the name of Jonathan Sharp freed that was kind of the precursor to what Wilberforce did. Think about Lincoln quoting the Bible. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. quoted the Bible. He didn't quote Nietzsche. I mean, think about sex, tra- I mean, sex trafficking today. Slavery's still alive and well in this world. Who's leading the charge against that? It's the church. Think about charity. Historians say that essentially charity did not exist before Jesus, but flourished after him in the church. What was part of the, I mean, this is, uh, I think, appropriate during COVID, during a pandemic, but part of the reason that the early church took off so much in the Roman Empire was during the plagues when people, uh, out of fear of death, would abandon even their own families. Christians who weren't afraid of dying because they knew they were going to heaven stayed, and they took care of those people, and the church took off because they saw the reality in them. Do you realize not education itself but education for everyone and not just the elite can be traced back to the Protestant Reformation. Did you know that almost all of the first 123 colleges and, the uni- and universities in the United States can be traced back to Christian origins? It's the kingdom of God being built through the church. You know, sometimes today, and, and some of this is because of dumb things that, we, that Christians have said, but sometimes science and uh, Christianity are uh, posited against uh, one another. But in reality, the whole discipline of science came out of a Christian worldview, and many of the first scientists were Bible-believing Christians who believed that science was possible because we lived in an orderly world that was created uh, by God. Think about work, the Protestant work ethic, and and capitalism, hospitals, the Red Cross. You know, I could go on and on and on, but ultimately, the contribution of changed lives through the gospel, civilizing the uncivilized, bringing language and books and translation to to remote places all over uh, the, the world. Listen, don't buy the secular modern narrative that the church is outdated and outmoded and irrelevant. The church of Jesus Christ in building the kingdom of God has changed the world, and that's what we're called to do as we submit to the king, live according to his word, live in the power of the Holy Spirit with the gospel, God using us to change lives and communities and societies. That's what we're called to do to prepare the way for our soon coming king. Let me close with this. So if this is the message of the kingdom and some of the ways it applies, what should our response be? And I want to give you three responses to consider as we close this morning. The first one is salvation. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel is the good news that even though we've sinned, we've rebelled against the holy God. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and he died for our sins. He bore our sins. He died the death that we deserve to die. And then he rose from the dead. And that if we repent, if we turn from our sins, we trust him, we surrender to him as Lord. That we're saved, that we become a part of his kingdom. We become a child of God. And my question for you in the room online, 
is have you turned from your sins and by faith trusted and submitted to Jesus Christ as your Lord, God, and King? If not, he invites you to surrender to him, to receive him today. If you have, like Pastor David said earlier, the first step of obedience, the way we publicly declare our faith is through believer's baptism by immersion. And I would encourage you to take the step of, of signing up, of not being ashamed, of boldly, publicly declaring your faith in Christ. Second, if we are a believer, we're called daily to surrender to Jesus and to seek to know and to do his will. And what he said? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, in our lives, are we praying daily? God, your will be done. Lord, show me your will. God, help me to do your will. God, use me. God, use me to build your kingdom. Matthew 6, just later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, meaning it's kind of the basic needs and things of life is going to be added unto you. Is, is, is the kingdom of God, is our King Jesus, does he have first place in your life? And then last, service. Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, the kingdom that's going to last, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. In other words, the kingdom of God is all that will last. Therefore, we waste our lives if we're investing them in anything else, including even religious things. Augustine wrote, that which man builds, man destroys. But the city of God is built by God and cannot be destroyed by man. Are you basing your life on, are you living your life for that which is just going to fade away or that which is going to last forever? Are you living your life, surrender to Jesus, serving God, seeking to build the kingdom of God, being used by God to glorify him and to make a difference in this world right now? Bob Roberts Jr. said, the kingdom of God is a radical message meant to be lived out in radical lives, which then historically and culturally have radical results. God wants us to get off the fence, to not just float along through life doing our own little thing but to live sold out for Jesus Christ, on fire for him, seeking him, serving him, being used by him, seeing people come to Christ, seeing people helped and transformed, making a difference in the world. Listen, let's not waste our lives. If you would, would you bow your heads and, and, and close your eyes? And I want to lead us in prayer. And as we pray this morning, there may be some of you that need to call on the name of Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come and take control of your life. If that's you, if he's doing a work in your heart and giving you the faith to believe, tell him to believe I encourage you to tell him that you believe that he's the son of God, that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead. To confess him as your Lord and Savior. Make that decision. If you've got 
questions about that, come talk to one of your pastors at the end of the service. I'll be happy to talk with you. Some of you say, yeah, I'm a believer, but are you seeking first the kingdom of God in your life? Is Jesus first? Are you doing your own thing? Are you serving God? Are you using your gifts, your talents, your opportunities that he puts in front of you? Build his kingdom to make a difference in people's lives. Listen, sometimes you say, what's God's will? Sometimes it's just taking what he puts in front of us. Maybe some of you today need to make a commitment that you're going to live to seek first the kingdom of God, to build the kingdom of God. Father, I, I pray that you would draw people to yourself. God, that you would cause us all to surrender to you, to use our gifts, our opportunities to serve you, to build your kingdom. Lord, I ask you to just make this a conviction of our lives, that we're to live for King Jesus, we're to live to build his kingdom. And Lord, I ask you to work through these people, to work through this body, Lord, to see your kingdom come and your will be done in this place, in this area, in people's lives. Anoint and empower them by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.